stuff. Welcome to episode 202 of the Good Stuff Kids podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mason, and this is the show where we get to know the creators of certified and bona fide good stuff for kids and families. And on today's show, I talk to Uncle Tyrone. And Uncle Tyrone is a comedian and a ventriloquist and a puppeteer, all of those things. And I got to hear the backstory of how Uncle Tyrone got to be interested I mean, that's really the word for it, how he got to be interested in doing these things. And he's got a really sort of fascinating story talking about how he ran track and all the people that supported him. And I was really impressed with his memory uh, of all the people that pitched in and helped him along the way. And we talked about his time performing at Bush Gardens, which is an amusement park and and all of these different experiences that led him to be the person that he is today. I think you'll enjoy getting to know Uncle Tyrone and you should check him out. And at the end of the episode, you'll find out just how to do that. In the meantime, if you want to find any of the past episodes, just go to goodstuffpod.com. Want to email me because you think you got good stuff? Want to email me because you want to tell me about an amazing thing that happened to you this week? You want to email me to become email buddies? So do, you know, you should. Mike at goodstuffpod.com. Would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoy this episode. And with no further delay, here is Uncle Tyrone. It's going to brighten everyone's day to hear this conversation. It is a pleasure to welcome Uncle Tyrone to the Good Stuff Kids podcast. How are you doing, Uncle Tyrone? I'm doing well. Hope everybody else is doing well as well. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a good thing, right? So, um, yeah. So, so tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you know, like we're going to work our way up to uh, what you're currently doing, which is which is comedy for for kids and families, right? But like. It's it's so yeah. fascinating to, fascinating to me how folks get to this particular point. So so tell us a little bit of your story. Well, my story is like this. After I finished high school, I did a little college. I started run track on a full scholarship. However, I decided not to because I wanted to um, pursue other things. I used to run so much that I got sick of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, all the real hard running to get good at and all of that. And so I decided I didn't want to do that anymore because I wanted to do something that I really wanted to learn when I was only seven years old. At seven years old, I learned the art of control prison. Now, wow. mind you, yeah, mind you, I could not read that well. I, I, I had difficulty reading. I had mental block. And one day, I put it all together. My mom and I talked about it. Excuse me. Yeah, my brother, he was five, I, and I was three, and he had some type of lung infection. And so she said, we we're so close, we we're tight. It's like, you know, two kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, um, we was in the car, and that's all I remember. We was in the car, we were going to this place, and my brother got a call with my mom and my grandmother. And the next time... I had a chance to see my brother just laying in the coffin. I didn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. And so one day I was sitting on the steps at home, and I asked my grandmother about my brother, and she said, he's up there with the man in the moon, okay? I didn't understand that either. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I guess she was talking about God in, in her way. And so I would look up at the moon every day, and wondering, when is he coming back? When is he coming back? And I began to feel so lonely. My mom said that one day I was slamming the freezer door. And she asked me, why are you slamming the freezer door? And I told her I was trying to kill God because he took my brother. Wow. Man. And so that thing evidently must have been real horrible for me because I didn't remember all of that. But I remember my brother had this little Buzz Bunny, this toy that you pull the string, and he'll say, what's up, Doc? 
I like carrots, you like carrots, you know, stuff like that. And I would pull the string, this rabbit would talk to me, Bugs Bunny. And I would hold on to this bunny every day. I go to school, I come home, I pick it up. And I look out the window, and I got this Bugs Bunny. And one day I came home, and the Bugs Bunny disappeared. Huh. I did not know what happened to this, this character. I, I guess I made him my best friend because it's all I had left of my brother. And so uh, I told my wife the experience, and she said, I wonder what happened to him. I said, I don't know. So she, being brave, <laughs> one day she asked my mom, when they, they're alone, she said, well, what happened to Buzz Bunny? Oh. My, mom, <laughs> my mom said, well, because he became so attached to it, we decided to give it to someone else because we didn't want it to become a, a clutch to him or something. Okay. I don't know what they... So they thought they were doing the right thing, but evidently they realized it wasn't the right thing because now I really seem lost, I guess. So my parents began to buy me these puppets. They pull the string and they'll talk, you know, like a Mr. Ed puppet. You pull it and the horse will go, yeah, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. or a little puppet, Tom and Jerry, the Beatles, all these type of things. You know, I'm dating myself too. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> So they kept buying me these puppets, but I got tired of them saying the same thing over and over and over. I'm like, wow, man, you know. And one day, my father and I was looking at a movie. It was a black and white whole rerun. It was a movie of Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. And he had this puppet on his knee, and this thing was talking. And it's like, I told my dad, I want one of those. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't get it for me at the time. I guess it went in one ear out the other. You know how sometimes parents, they hear the children, but sometimes they, they don't. Right. And we were looking at an old Lucy show. My mom was watching Lucy. I love Lucy. Mm -hmm. And there was Paul Winchell with Jerry Mahoney. And Paul Winchell had a setup where Lucy was, she came to the house, and Jerry Mahoney and Nucky Smith, they were talking by themselves without the ventriloquist besides them. Uh -huh. And so I actually thought these puppets come alive, you know? I'm like, wow. <laughs> so yeah. I was so fascinated with Ventriloquist puppets. And um, when I went to school, it was like, I guess my second grade year. Yeah. This um, the school had changed up. Well, at first it was all African-American, a black school. But then they did the busing. I don't know if you heard of that before, busing, what is yeah, bus, yeah, yeah. bus children from other areas. Yeah, so they bus the Caucasian kids from a different area to our school. And so, uh, you know, as children, we don't see color. Right. We just see children. We see each other. So this guy named Mike Poe, we had a show and tell day. And he had a suitcase. <laughs> you know, and then he pulled out opened the suitcase and pulled out this puppet. I'm like, wow, that's uh -huh. exactly what I want. <laughs> oh, wow. And he started to do the show for the class because the teacher said, Mike is going to do a show for us. And we laughed. He was funny. And it was old Daniel day where he pulled a string, you know, back of the neck and just a mouth move. Uh -huh. He was good with it. And so that day we had to go outside after the show but me, I got in the back of the line because I wasn't going outside. I was going to check the puppet out. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So as I go outside, I go to the suitcase and look at that puppet. And I'm like, oh, wow, I want one of these. Oh, my goodness, where he get it from? So, of course, I closed it up. I went outside, I played with everybody. So when Mike came in, I said, Mike, I really want a puppet. Where did you get it from? He said, I don't know. I got it for my birthday. My aunt bought it for me. I said, wow, I want to learn. So he said, well, you got to go to the library and get the book on ventriloquism. So I said, okay. So anyway, I told my father about it. I said, Dad, I want to go to the library. And so my, I guess it surprised them because Tyrone did not pick up books. <laughs> they <did. laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, what's going on with this boy? <laughs> <laughs> so, we go to the library, 
and speak to the lady. And he says, my son wants a book. She said, what kind of book do you want? I said, I want to make puppet talk without moving my mouth. She said, oh, ventriloquism. I said, yeah, that's it. So, of course, she pulls out this long catalog card. <laughs> Draw, yeah. you know. Ah, no computer. Yeah. Like that, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's like blowing the dust off them, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, we uh, go to this area, and she looks on the shelf and says, here's the book. And, wow, the name of the book is Fun with Ventriloquism. Paul Winchell, the guy that I saw on Lucy's show, was in the book. And so my dad checked it out for me. Took it home. Of course, I was frustrated because I had difficulty reading. And my mom and dad said, you know, you have to keep working at it. Keep learning. And my dad said to me, he said, if you learn to read this book, I buy you a puppet. Oh, so we got to figure out what motivation. Major motivation. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, I'm running around the house making socks and stuff like that. My mom kept wondering what happened to my socks because she kept saying, the socks are disappearing. What's going on with them? Uh-huh. <laughs> she didn't realize. I was taking the socks and making puppets out of them. Wow, it's amazing. <laughs> and then I had them. You know, I had them in the room. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, my dad said, how you doing, how you doing on the book? I said, I'm, I'm working at it. And then I go to my teacher. My teacher noticed my attitude had changed because I was the type of child that talked too much, didn't pay attention, mm-hmm. pick on the girl. <laughs> she had always called me. Tyrone, 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 you know. <laughs> I'm sit up, sit up front, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I was interested, you know, school because when you can't read, first of all, I learned something. I use this today when I speak with children. I learned that when you you're not able to read, you become the class clown because you don't want nobody to laugh at you. Right. You know, you want them to laugh with you like you're a class clown. So when it's time for me to read, I would cut up and the kids would laugh and you know. So the teachers would be like, "Okay, Tyrone, you know." And how did this fish you from a reading group? <laughs> you know, like that. See, yeah. so my teacher knew that I had a hang up with reading, but they didn't know how hard it was for me to, you know, really take on words. Words were not, I don't know, for some reason, it just wouldn't work for some reason. So I kept working this book, and the teacher would help me, my parents would encourage me, and even try to help me read the book. And um, one day I just kept reading it, you know, each day. It began to open my mind. For some reason, like, the mental block began to break down. Mm-hmm. And I began to learn and read this book, Fun with Ventriloquism. And that book opened up my mind on how to read because I was so determined. And I began to learn the words. My mom, she would give me different books and say, well, read this. And I read that book, this book, another book. And eventually I learned all of ventriloquism from reading that book. Wow. So what was the and what was so the co- was, the combination of of reading about it and, and then you were practicing obviously with the the sock puppets yeah. that you were creating. So like, how long did that go on until you were like, okay, I'm ready to to show someone what I can do here? Yeah, I think it went on for at least six, seven months, eight months, maybe or so. So I must have been about six, maybe I don't know. Wow. Because when I got first up, I was seven. Yeah. So maybe seven. So anyway. Huh. My dad, um, he took, we'll go to my grandma's house a lot, uh-huh. you know, so I was at my grandma's house and she had a Sears catalog. She was looking at it for all kinds of stuff and everything. So I was like, Grandma, can I see your book? She said, yeah. You know, so I was looking through it, looking through it. And I was like, I'm going to look at the toys. So I was collecting Hot Wheels at the time. I like Hot Wheels toys and stuff like that, cars. I happened to turn the page. My sister was looking at doll babies because she wouldn't look at it, you know, so I'm like, ah, you want to look at the diabetes. So she looked at the diabetes, but then she turned the page, and there was Agatha Burgess, Charlotte McCarthy, uh, Daniel Day, the same puppet that Mike Poe had. Oh, and wow. I couldn't believe it. Uh-huh. I'm like, and I showed my dad, Dad, this is it, this is it. He's like, what? I said, this is what I want. You know, he didn't say nothing. <laughs> you know, he just said, okay, all right. So during the winter break, we was at my grandmother's house. My dad came to pick us up. But he said, I got some gifts for you guys. I got some stuff for you. So he gave my sister a big box. It was a doll baby that, that make that noise and eat food. I forgot what you call them, doll baby. Oh, yeah. And he gave me, yeah, he gave me a box, right? So I opened the box. Oh, no, took, took the wrapping off. And there was a red and white box. The ventriloquism doll said. I was like, oh, my goodness. Opened yeah. the box. It was done with day. 
Oh, wow. Many. And I took that puppet home and practiced with it. And then I took the puppet to school and showed the teacher. And she was so impressed because I stopped cutting up. I learned to read. And I learned the art of ventriloquism the hard way. Yeah. And she looked at me. She said, you know something? She said, I like what the other boy did. She said, but I think you really have a career at this. Oh, cool. And I, said, I said, why? She said, because you know how to change your voice already. You comprehend, you sort of change your voice. See, Mike didn't change his voice. The puppet had his voice. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, she comprehends, I knew how to change my voice. She said, I think this is what you're going to be doing. Wow. And so she talked to yeah, she talked to the school librarian, and school librarian was so impressed about my love for books now and the art of ventriloquism. She said, would you like to do a show for the class? I said, yeah. She said, no, for the whole school. Every <laughs> class will come into the library, and you get to do a show for them. I'm like, oh, wow. And so I got to do a show for every class. And my wow. father, I named my brother Tommy. The day no day, I called him Tommy. And I continued to practice. And so in time, my dad would buy me other ones because he, he had a catalog now. He would buy me all these other ones, and I would practice with them. And my mom began to find the socks now. Now she knew what happened to socks. <laughs> <laughs> because I made one sock with ears like a dog. So Rags is the dog. I was making this dog named Rags because he made our Rags. And so as time went on to bring me up to a middle school and everything, I kind of put it aside. Because you you know when you go to middle school, it's now about the girls and sports, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. I've heard this, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, I didn't really do much with the ventriloquism in middle school. I just focused on running track uh-huh. and everything. But when I got to high school, I, I began to see other ventriloquists. And then I saw Willie Tyler Lester on TV. The African American ventriloquist, the Lester, the Af- big Afro puppet. Okay. And I, said, yeah, I'm like, wow, man, I want to get back into doing it and keep practicing and get good at it because I want a puppet like that. So we, at the time, you know, we didn't know how to find out who makes these puppets, and, and so I went back to the puppet my dad bought me. They're made by this company called Juro, J-U-R-O, Juro Novelty. And I, I wrote a letter to these guys in, in New York. I wrote a letter. And they wrote me back. That's the best. Said, yeah, they said, here's the catalog. They sent me a catalog. They have a puppet, you know, that you can move the head. They said, we got to kind of move ahead. So I wrote the gentleman again. I said, I want to know if I can get someone moving eyes. So he sent me an address of a company that builds puppets, like, you know, professional ventriloquist puppets. Uh-huh. Finnis and Robinson out of Florida. And so I wrote them, and he sent me his catalog. And, of course, I'm in high school, running track. I've already been in the newspaper a lot because I was very outstanding in track. Uh-huh. I was running the 440, 880, and I anchored a mile relay. Wow. So, yeah. That's real so speed. That's- yeah. Yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> but I was very competitive. I, I would get up at night, midnight, and go run. Wow. With my dog for about a mile or two. Uh-huh. My dog would run. He, my dog would run and, and make me pace behind him. He knew what I was doing. It's funny. Dogs, animals know what you're doing. Yeah. My dog knew I wanted to develop my speed, so he would run with me. And when he knew that I had about 200 yards to go, he would sprint. To make me catch him. And that's how I ended up, you know, being so good in the track. Because by the time I came running at 200, when I was at 200, I was in the wind. Huh. And it's all because I learned from this dog. I don't know. It may sound crazy, but it really happened. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but going back to, yeah. So, but going back to the thing, I, we, the gentleman and I would write each other back and forth. And I let him know that eventually once I get a job, I'm going to have to save up because my father's not going to pay this kind of money for a puppet. <laughs> right. You know, it was, it was like $200, 300 Wow, that's a lot. Unexpectedly, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for, you know, a teenager, you know, in high school, my father didn't know if I really wanted to pursue this for real. And he said, well, what you need to do, because he'll teach me value. He said, you need a part-time job. He said, you need to budget your time out. 
you know, your grade, your track, and the job. And, and oh, plus the marching band. I was in high school band. So <laughs> I played drums. Oh, wow. So anyway, so he said, you got to have budget. Your time, son. And so um, I said, okay, I'll do my track. And then I'll um, do my job and come home to my homework. And so my father said, okay. And sometimes, so my father said, make sure you get it right. Because, see, we lived in the country. We lived in a place called Powhatan, Virginia. Okay. And Powhatan's like an hour away from Chesterfield, Virginia. And that's where, um, I don't know, maybe about 45 minutes till now, yeah. So I was like, wow. I missed my, my ride. A friend of mine wanted to take me to work. I missed my ride. I said, okay, I'm a distance runner. I'm going to run from Powhatan to McDonald's to Chesterfield. <laughs> oh, wow. And I ran, I don't know how many hours run, how many miles, what's that? When you do about an hour, I don't know. Anyway, it was a lot of running. So I ran <laughs> from Powhatan to Chesterfield, to McDonald's, and I worked, and then I run home. And of course they know this, or they would have made me quit the job. <laughs> right. But I was doing it because I figured, well, I'm about to go to regional, and I want to get really good. So and I know I could, I could run distance because I used to run five or ten miles during the summer, a day, when I stayed at my grandmother's house. So anyway, my parents finally... I uh, said, here, we got this part, this car that you can drive. <laughs> uh, I think they knew. They didn't yeah. want to sell me. They, they, were, they were on to you. They knew. Yeah, exactly. So, in a way, I'll go home, do my homework. But anyway, I'll write the gentleman, and i send him a check. I said, I'm going to send you a check. So he said, okay, down payment. He'll start working on my puppet. And I finally said, enough where I can send the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And so he um, said, okay, I'm going to send you a puppet. And he sent me my first puppet. And I got my first puppet with moving eyes. And, you know, it was like a professional puppet. And I yeah. named him Tilford, T-I-L-F-O-R-D. Okay. I named him after the street that we used to live in, live on, in uh-huh. Richmond, Virginia. Because nice. I thought about that street as a memory. You know, it was, it was a lot of memories on that street. Right. You know, middle school, learning track, things like that. Just memories, you know. Yep. So I took this puppet to school in high school, and people was like, "Oh wow, man, we know you do do that. Why you run track? Plus you do that, you know." The classmates yeah. were very impressed. Like, "Wow, man, you do all kinds of stuff, you know." Didn't matter that they voted me most talented in my school year. Whoa! So nice. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, I was working at getting more understanding of this ventriloquism and just doing it. You know, I didn't think about the comedy because I guess. Doing it, you know, people laugh anyway. The puppet says stupid stuff. They laugh anyway. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that, com- that comes later. That comes later, the funny stuff, yeah. So, right, yeah. So, this gentleman named John, he said, uh, Mr. John, no, Mr. John, the man, Mr. John. He said, uh, I was 4-H, and I hear you do ventriloquism. Would you like to join our club? Because we had to think of Shadow Fun, and we can help you develop your skill. And I said, so what I what do I have to do? He said, well, I compete against other counties, which have been trolling for me. Huh. I said, well, okay. And so we'll practice. And so I had to go and compete against other people. Each time I would compete, I would win. <laughs> so he said, well, you won the district. I said, oh, really? He said, so he said, now you have to do regional. And we did regional. And I won regional. Wow. So he said, he said well, you're going to have to go to Virginia Tech to do the state. He said, that's a tough one because you're going to go against some real good people. I said, okay. So we went to Virginia Tech, represent Power 10, 4-H team, and I won the state. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. And so I had a, I had a good year. Yeah, I was doing good. good, good, good track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, so this girl in my class, she actually was getting into journalism. She was learning, because she wanted to work with the newspaper, you know, and things like that. So she said, um, can I do a story on you? I said, okay, cool. 
So she um, says, oh, uh, what inspired you to want to be a controller? She knows all that kind of stuff. And so we talked about it. She wrote it and had the um, school uh, yearbook. People take that picture. And so she sent it in. And she won first place. Oh, my gosh. And um, this gentleman happened to see the article. And during the time I was at, I was in, at Fruitvana, on waiting to run because that's where they're holding the district track meet on the reason. So these people came with these cameras and stuff. Like, and somebody said, oh, man, I think anybody give you a big scholarship. I said, man, wow. You know, because, you know, coaches was looking at different runners. Right. So I'm like, wow, they're coming with the cameras. So they said, uh, this gentleman wanted to present you with a gift. So I'm like, who is he? They said, well, open the letter. And I opened the letter. It was a thousand dollars. Nice. Because of me doing the auto control prison and never giving up. And he said he wanted to give me a little bread to keep going. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was for track, but it wasn't for track. It was because of the news office. <laughs> so I just said, my parents said, a thousand dollars. Yeah, not bad. Maybe there's something here. Make a little money. So you. Yeah. And. You were you were you're running track. When did you decide? You know, I know that you spent some time um, honing your act, right? Like, like tell right. me tell me a little bit. Of, like, take us there. I guess you started at like Bush Gardens or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. What happened is after uh, finished high school and did my college and everything, I was working the nine to five. And I got sick of that, you know. But I was working, and I was working for this company, Computer Computer Man, because I got into computers. Okay. And it's by name John Dovick. John said, uh, look, man, hey, um, we're going to see the talent show thing, you know. I said, yeah, we might doing it. He said, oh, yeah, well, you go, let's go. So the guy who owns the company, we all went. And I got up on stage, did my thing. <laughs> now, nice. He, asked, he called me in his office the next day. He said, uh, Tyrone, you know, we're Jews. I said, yeah. He said, and Jews believe that a person should follow their, their dreams. He said, we like what you do here, but we wonder why are you not following your dreams? We saw you last night. You're good. And I said, well, because I need a job. <laughs> what a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said, well, suppose we pay you what we pay you now to go to different schools and places to do your show. Oh my gosh, what an amazing gift. Yeah. I said, okay. So that's what I did. Yeah, absolutely. Computer land was closing down. So I'm like, oh wow. So, you know, it was for about six months a year. So, anyway, um, I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I met this gentleman. And he said, look. What do you want to do? I said, I want to do shows. I want to be on stage because he owns a club. Yeah. He said, well, are you funny? I said, I think so. So he <laughs> said, well, bring your public to, to my apartment and let's see how funny you are. And I did my material for him. He said, you're okay, but it's not funny. It's not funny uh -huh. that in order to entertain a, a crowd at a club. He said, you got to understand, you go in front of a crowd at a club, it's a different ball game. You, you know, you have to get good at it. I said, okay, so what did I do? Now, of course, mind you, I'm not living at home now. You know, I got my own place. I'm on my own. Yeah. So he's like, uh, come back. And I got some albums that I listen to, some records and stuff. And we listened to Red Fox. We listened to Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Richard Pryor. He said, that's funny. And so he said, let's get that kind of material. So we began to write this kind of material. And, and he wanted me to get good at it. So what he would do, because he owned a couple of um, nightclubs, he had me entertain the crowd for two or three minutes with a couple of jokes we wrote. And they'll laugh, he ha ha, you know. They never booed me. Well, that's so, good. Uh, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, they, knew, they knew I was green, I was young. So, but as I got more and more with it, the crowd started really laughing. Then he took me to some place in D.C. to do some comedy stuff because he wanted to do this outside of Richmond. He didn't want the whole town to, you know, be like, oh, he's no good. So he took me there, and I, I, I floored the crowd. I did. 
you know, he's like, you're on your way. We're going to do this. And we kept working at it. So he said, I got the concert coming up because I'm getting to booking concerts now. He said, I have Frankie Bellman featuring Maze, and I'm going to have you open the show in front of 5,000 people. Whoa. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, 5,000 people. He said, you can do it. You can do it. And so he said, all I want is 10 minutes. That's all. You go on stage 10 minutes. You can do that. So I'm in, in my dressing room. He's like, I got some news for you. I said, I'm still going to say, yeah, but I need you to do an extra five minutes. I said, I don't have five more minutes, man. That's what he said. In front of five thousand people, all I got is ten minutes. He said, but you got to do fifteen, man. You got to do fifteen. I said, oh, come on, man. He said, come on. He said, you can do it. I was like, going in my mind, what am I going to do? Man, I pulled the sock out. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I said, so I got on stage to introduce me. I said, look. I said, let me tell y'all something. Because I know y'all waiting for me. And all I have is, have is 10 minute material, but for well, five minutes, I got to entertain you guys with something that I don't have. I said, look, I got a sock. I said, let me tell you how I got it. So I told the adult crowd how I got started in trouble with them for five minutes with a sock. That's awesome. <laughs> Did they love it? And then they moved me, they look, right? I said, so now it's time to bring out children. Man, the crowd started applauding. And I pulled them out, man, the people. Laughing and and everything, it was like wow, an awesome night. They wrote, they did, um, you know how the critics, right? Yeah, the critics was there the night too. They said, uh, local comedian, uh, while the crowd was his puppet. Nice. He, he's got, he got, he's got little ways to go, but he, he did pretty good. You know, they didn't give me a great write-up, but I was like, <laughs> well, a little write-up is better than no write-up, right? Like that's a, an amazing thing. Me being stupid, man, I should have saved that. That was my first write-up. I should say, <laughs> you know, when you're young, you think like that. So he, the guy says, hey, you, we're doing this. And then this lady said, this lady came to the club the next week and asked him, could I open for New Edition? New Edition? Like, new edition. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh. He said, New Edition. Matter of fact, you know the Coconut Grove Hotel in, in your area, Hollywood? Coconut Grove. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's still there. I don't know if it's tore down. Or not. Is it still there? I don't know. Okay. Coconut Grove hotels where they are doing a Hal Jackson talented team. It's like young African American young ladies, like Mr. America type passion, but it's young talent team. And New Edition was the special guest and ready for the world, and so they needed comedy, and uh-huh. so they let me come on and do my comedy. Nice. And so I got to do my comedy and everything. And so I and so during that time I said, Okay, all right, I'm I'm doing this now. But then here's the going we're getting to Bush Gardens. We're almost there. Nah. <laughs> I I'll do these shows but I want to get really good. And my conscience was killing me because my parents then raised me to do Richard Pryor material. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Kirsten and right, right. the material is very vocal. It was very pants R-rated. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I really got into the material. So what I would do, this is, you know, what I, everybody has what you call a monster. My monster became Long Island IC. Because uh-huh. I told the man, I needed something. These, these my nerves. So he said, Let's, what you want? I said, I want something strong. So they said, we have Long Island IC. I said, give it to me. I drank wine. It's like I ain't feel nothing. I got on stage and I did my thing. But we're doing too many shows. Next thing I know, I started doing two or three of those drinks every time the show. And so I realized I began to get hooked. And so, uh, plus I was married. And so my marriage began to become rocky and everything because I became a different person because of the alcohol. I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, it's just that when I would do those shows, I became this guy on stage. You know, like entertainers become a certain person. Right. It's somebody that people just didn't know. Right. Yeah. Mom or dad, they heard about my shows. My dad, he said, I hear you doing these good shows, but he didn't come because he knew. And so, but the thing is, along the shows came other things, you know, start making money, fast cars. And, you know, everything else came with it. I didn't do drugs. It's just the alcohol and 
of course, women were involved, so <laughs> I was a naughty boy, you know. And so, <laughs> yeah, I was a real deal, man. So, yeah, um, you, you did it. You really did it. <laughs> yeah. So one day I said, I, I just said, I can't do this no more. And so one guy saw me who worked at a radio station said, why'd you stop? I said, because I can't do this kind of material no more. He said, well, why don't you do clean comedy? Oh, good. So he, uh, I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, well, listen to this comedian, which we're not going to mention his name. <laughs> uh-huh. But I listened to I listened to his comedy. And I was like, I'm like, well, that's, how, that's not funny. He said, yes, it is. He said, real life story. He comes and so I said, well, how did I do that? So my new wife, I remarried. Uh-huh. <laughs> she said, um, you need to, to, to do something besides doing nine to five because I know you're good at what you do. I said, I can't do it because I went to a school, did a show. I went to a school to do a show. And the kids loved it. I was yeah. just doing stuff, top of my head, some clean material, some stuff, tell them, you know, read your book and all that kind of stuff. She said, why don't you do that? You know, this is before we got married. I said, I don't know if this, I don't know if I can do this. You know, she said, Yes, you can. I said, I need some full time. So we're driving, we saw a sign of Bush Gardens looking for entertainment. She said, Audition for Bush Gardens. I said, I'm not good enough for Bush Gardens. You know my material. She said, Just go there. <laughs> so I go to Bush Gardens and this lady named Emil Trimmel. She said, What do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a ventriloquist. She said, Well, give us three minutes of your material. And I built this puppet called Charles Duke. He was a snake in the box. Uh-huh. I said, okay. I did my little thing. And she, she laughed at it. Good. She said, she said, if, if we, she said, we'll get in touch with you. I thought she was joking. She called me later on that, that day and said, we want you to be a part of Bush Garden. Awesome. That's great. And so I go sit down with her and say, well, you know, I need my material. I need work on material. She said, I'm going to train you. I'm going to train you how to become a family entertainer. She said, because I see something about you. And we're going to work with you. And so every day we're working on material. And what she would do when Bush Gardens opened up, they would make me go into the park. <laughs> oh, yeah. Park. And yeah. some wheels on it. And I pulled this box, and I had to pull out my puppet and make people laugh and, and draw a crowd. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, what? Trial by fire. I'm like, I'm like, Trial by fire, I'm yeah. To, yeah, man, I'm not like used to, uh, you go on stage and you got your crowd. I had to draw a crowd. Yeah. And she said, you can do it. She was standing over there in the corner over there and watch me. And I'd be trying to entertain these people, and they'll laugh, and then they'll move on. And then she'll take notes. She'll be writing notes on me and stuff. She was writing. And she said, well, try this and try that. And, you know, she said, believe in yourself. You're good. Let people know you're good. So each time work at it, and I give maybe five people standing around, 10 people. And so the second year, I give maybe about 20 people standing around watch me. You know, during the third year, they had to put me on the stage. Nice. So many people was standing around watching my show and they wanted to know when I'm going to do another show. And so she said to me, she said, you have outgrown Bush Gardens. She said, you're ready. You wow. need to do, she said, I don't want to hold you back. You need to really go out there and, and spread your wings. And so I, I sent Carmel Cruz a tape. Carmel Cruz booked me. I did some Carmel Cruz. And then I met this gentleman from New York who works with this company called Green Metal Farms. He owns it, called Green Metal Farms. And Green Meadow Farms is what they do. They have animals. They they have all these farm animals, and they bus two to three thousand children a day to Queens in New York in this open area that's set up like a farm. And they had me to do the show wow. for all these pre-Ks, these uh, kindergartners, these second, third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, and I'll do these shows, and the kids will laugh and. People, the teachers will have to write uh, what they thought about the farm. Not about my show, about the farm. Yeah. But each teacher would say, we love the show. The show was the best. <laughs> and he, he wanted me just for one week. Then he had me for two weeks. And the next season, he had me for a month. And eventually, he wanted me to be the act. 
you know, that people, you know, that come to the farm, the kids see the animals, pet the animals, learn about the different animals, they hayride, and then they'll come see the show. So during the times I would do the show, the kids would say, Tyrone, 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 do more, do more, do more. And even though the uh, four-year-olds would go, encore, encore. I'm like, Love. what y'all know about encore? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm like, how y'all know about that word? Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, but then people would get out of the children because they say Tyrone. And I kept thinking to myself, I can't get these children in trouble no more. They keep saying Tyrone. Teachers keep saying, saying Mr. Tyrone. And I don't like the word Mr. Tyrone. Right. It just didn't seem like a fun guy. So I thought about <laughs> who was fun. And I remember my uncle, when I was coming up, he was such a fun guy. I said, oh, Uncle Tyrone. And so I developed my, my skills as being the uncle to these children. And because they laughed hysterically, I said, wait a minute, I'm like a comedian for these children. So then I decided to change up and go after becoming a kid's comedian. And I developed my skills in New York because uh -huh. it's like, these children are going to let you know whether you're good or not. Yeah, and I right. developed my skills and the children, I mean, I mean, the teachers would have the children on lawn. I mean, hundreds of children. And they wanted the show. If I, if I didn't do the show... They'll complain to the guy who booked the show because they'll be like, well, where is he? You know, he, so he had to have me do more shows. So, <laughs> oh, nice. So, yeah. So from that point on, it became Uncle Tyrone, and I decided to develop the Uncle Tyrone show. And so I took it to the comedy clubs and said, look, the funny bone. I said, why can't y'all do a, a kid's show, you know, kid's comedian? And they said, well, let's try it. Let's do it on, on the weekend. You know, so we did. Uh -huh. And it was great. But then they said, well, we're not making enough money because, you know, we make a lot when it comes to drinks. The comedians right. at night do the drinks. And so you got to understand, it's, this is a money business. So we can't really pursue that. And now looking at, on the Internet, I'm like, but they're doing it in Europe. These guys are going to these venues, these clubs, doing these shows for kids. And I'm like, where is it at in Virginia? Why won't Virginia do the same thing? Because they have, they have, you know, like you go to a comedy club, instead of going to see, you know, nighttime, you go see a kid's comedian, you know? Right. And so that's what they're doing, booking these guys in theaters and stuff like that. And so the United States, I think it needs to happen. So that's why I push Uncle Tyrone, the kid comedian, hoping that somebody will catch on and say, okay, we need to have comedians. See, because one thing I don't want people to think, that I'm a birthday show. No, this is a four-fledged show. We entertain the kids. And the puns have fun, too, because I make sure I do that clever material. Because I learned comedy, so I can do material that puns can appreciate, too. It's not stupid Cookie material is material that parents can get down with. You know, like children don't know nothing about Jane Brown, but <laughs> yeah, parents know about it. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, so <laughs> you know all of the stuff and keep it clean and fun. Yeah. And so I said, the comedian part of it is children. It's, it's hysterical. They laugh. I mean, I've have I did some shows at some libraries last year, and this little little boy, he was in a wheelchair. And he was laughing hysterically. And the people were taking pictures of him laughing, their parents and everything. And so I asked the librarian, why did, why did they take pictures of him like that so much? You know, like they never seen him laugh. She said, guess what? He never laughed at any show. Wow. He never talked. She said, I've heard him say, sock, 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 because I do this thing called rock and roll sock. Uh -huh. so he's, he's a, I build this puppet in front of people and make them come alive. And they think it's the funniest thing. And so uh, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow. And then this other boy came to me and hugged me at this school. And the teacher said, what did you do? I thought I was in trouble, you know, because, you know, you don't. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> I said, yeah, you don't. You no. Don't. I said, no, he came and hugged me first. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. She said, no, no, no. He don't like nobody to touch him. He doesn't go to nobody. She said, what did you do? How did you do it? I said, I guess because they know I love children and I'm the kid's comedian. I guess. I don't know. 
And I've had parents go and take pictures of their children laughing because they never seen their children laugh the way when I do my show. Wow. I've seen when I do big summer camp shows, the summer camp leaders will look at the children because children falling all around the floor laughing. You know how you hysterical and they looking at them like they're crazy. Right. <laughs> like, I know how to get the children to laugh. Yeah. I, I realize that's my gift. That is I totally. know how to get them to laugh. Yep. You know? Yeah. And so I learned something from Jeff Dunham. Because Jeff, I met Jeff, he came to Thunderbolt twice, and each time we did dinner, Jeff Dunham and I. Uh-huh. And Jeff explained to me that making puppets, if you're going to be a ventriloquist, he said, he would tell me, he said, if you're going to be a ventriloquist, a person should learn to make their own puppets. They should know the craft in and out. He said, this material comes when he's building his puppet. I uh-huh. said, really? He said, yeah. He said, watch, I got a new puppet at night. And that was the night he introduced Ackman to Richmond, Virginia. Ackman uh-huh. the dead town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, okay. I get it now, Jeff. You know, so all my puppets that people can see now, 2019, are puppets that I built. I learned. I learned from, you know, years that I was making socks and stuff like that. I decided to really learn to make serious looking puppets. So I, I, all the puppets that I used to use, I replaced them with puppets I made. I learned to do sculpting, uh, taught myself how to sculpt, again, from reading books, YouTube, all of, all of that stuff. I built a mannequin type of puppet who's Ty J. Ty J is my little boy. He's seven years old. He's actually <laughs> me when I was seven. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's going to be the takeoff of Tyrone when he was a child. So it's going to kind of like live my life as a child, you know. So Ty J is my son, seven-year-old, know-it-all. <laughs> yeah. Then I have a, the rag who used to be a sock that I made. is now a showing-up dog puppet. I built a dog puppet. Yeah. And I have this baby dinosaur called Baby T-Rex that I built. I just finished building him. And of course, the sock. And what I do to, to get this show started, I help the people see that I can build a puppet. I build a sock in front of, in front of them just to show them. But it's not just a sock. I mean, a sock has a full body and everything. It yeah. becomes full-fledged puppet. And plus, I learned to write music because, like I said, I um, was playing drums in high school. And so now I have my own studio where I'm producing music that's kid-friendly. Wow. Because radio music is just not what's happening for children. You know, I would not let my child, my child listen to me, I have no way. You know, it's kind of stuff, you know, hip-hop and everything. I don't, I'm not down in the artist, but... I mean, the stuff they talk about, children need to be children until it's time to, you know, take on those type of subjects, you know? Right. So, and I, and I don't write little um, kid in music. I write music that, um, it's got a hip-hop sound to it, but with a positive flavor, you know? Cool. Like one song is called Backpack, what's in your backpack? All right, that's a hook, all right? Yeah. And what it is is that the public idea called school, he's got all these things in his backpack. You know, even, you know, he stuffed his problems in his backpack. Like, he had a bully come out. He said, I even stuffed a bully in my backpack, you know. So yeah. what he's saying, he stuffed his problems in his backpack. And, you know, he put his homework in his backpack, his, his lunch money in his backpack, you know, the whole thing. So it's like kids got his backpack. What's in your backpack? So basically, <laughs> you know, I write songs like that. Yeah, so that's, that's great. So that's it. I'm a Tyrone. as a kid's comedian. Uncle you know, Tyrone. Everything I do is all about the kids, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, one thing that's so amazing about your story is, and I love the the clarity that you have of of recalling all of the people that made a difference. But there are so many people that uh, you know came to you at the right time to give you the right motivation to put you on the right path, right? Like, especially you know, thinking about like the the teacher that you had, who was like, you know, you like the other kid did this, but you were like really good. You have some talent. And then yeah. the, the woman at Bush Gardens who who pushed you in, in like a, what was probably a pretty uncomfortable way, like when you have to go out into like oh, right, like <laughs> and, and all the kids want is like you know to go on the roller coaster or whatever, and there she's like, okay, you go, you go do this. And then uh, the yeah. other the other piece of it is just the dedication to the craft, you know, all of the research and work that you did to be self taught. You know, I'm looking. Um, mm-hmm at your Facebook page and your Instagram page. And, and it's true. Like that shows like sort of how these puppets come to life and how you've built them. And I think that that's a, that's yeah. an incredible thing too. Um, 
So, so yeah, absolutely. And it seems like you, you get out into the world and, and do a lot of different shows and things like that. And I think that, um, you know, people should, should check this out because you know, the story that you told about how you got to this point covers a lot of different ground. And I think that people should come and see you because there's nothing wrong with laughing and there's nothing wrong with having a good time and having a little bit of joy. So how do we how do we make sure that we are as up to date with Uncle Tyrone, the kids comedian, as we can possibly be? Is it like website or Facebook or things like that? Right, yes. Website is www.uncletyrone.com. That's it, Uncle Tyrone. Right, and it's no a hyphen in the Tyrone because see, my name I have a T Y hyphen R O N E. Uh huh. So the website I just made it straight up Uncle Tyrone, so people won't get confused. Great, and there's. And, uh, yeah, there's great videos on there. Some really funny videos of yeah. you doing your thing, yeah. and yeah, so yeah. it gets a great get a great feel for it. Well, Uncle Tyrone, this has been really amazing, and I loved hearing your story. And I think that uh, hopefully, hopefully, this will inspire some other kids to get out and try their hand at ventriloquism yeah. and and learning about how to do it. And uh, it's it's been really cool to talk to you. So thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And so there's Uncle Tyrone, and he really gave the full rounded picture of what his career arc has been like and how he's done the things that he does and how he learned the things that he learned for good and for bad and for better and for worse. But I would say, generally speaking, mostly for the better. He has has crafted a amazing career for himself, really doing what he loves to do. So thank you again to Uncle Tyrone for coming on the show. And thanks to you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. Good stuff.